Hello, KM family, and welcome to the Kingdompreneur Mentor Podcast, where listeners experience God's unfair advantage in life and business, hosted by Reggie Flowers. Kingdompreneur Mentor supports the development of faith-based entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs by helping them to dismantle their struggles and gracefully build a life of fulfillment and success while honoring God. We exist to provide you with the evidence that faith plus skills times belief equals disproportionate increase in your life and business. So whether you're listening in your office, kitchen, car, or on the treadmill at the gym, thank you for trusting us with your ears as we continue to strive to maintain that trust. Welcome KM family. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us right now on this podcast. I'm excited to be here. If you're joining for the first time, welcome to the Kingdompreneur Mentor Podcast, where we help Christian leaders activate God's unfair advantage. If you are returning, thank you for coming back and listening to our content, our conversations, our thoughts, and ultimately helping us build a community. Uh, We just eclipsed um, our July 4th holiday, so happy Independence Day to each and every one of you who are experiencing that. If you're in Canada, happy Canada Day. I know that was on the 1st. And if there's something else happening around the world that I'm not familiar with, congratulations to you on that as well. Um, But how are you doing? How was your holiday if you had one? What have you been up to? How's life? How's your family? How's your walk with Christ? You know, are you feeling activated? Are you feeling empowered? Is this information really helping you get closer to your ultimate goal, which is experiencing God's promises in every area of your life, right? The areas of fitness, finance, family, faith, you know, all the amazing Fs, right? We want to make sure that you're resonating, you're experiencing this. Also, quick update. Uh, launching um, actually relatively soon here so just keep an eye out on our YouTube channel but I'm going to be launching a new series that's all going to be training right these mini trainings they're going to be free so the great news is all you have to do is commit and you'll get the information but the the coursework is really on the premise of unlocking biblical power I'm going to spend time providing strategy in business, you know, or finance, your family, as well as, you know, helping you get fit, both spiritually and physically, okay? And so Unlocking Biblical Powers will be a series that will happen every Friday at 10 a.m. Initially, it'll start out with recordings, and then as we continue to expand, we'll start doing live, uh, you know, It'll be a live event on YouTube that you'll be able to turn in, tune into every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the whole objective right now is just really helping you live it out. I think that phrase is so critical in today's time because I would have to say that based on my research and also my experience, the majority of Christians, God-fearing people, faith-based people, that they have a cursory knowledge or they have a very strong intellectual knowledge, but there's only a small percentage of people who are aligned with God in Christ 
that are living it out, that they are examples, that if you're around them, you're encouraged, you're inspired. You see how they handle adversity. You see how they handle the enemy's attacks. You see how they handle success. You see how they handle their family, how they handle their spouses. And you can see that they're a great reflection or a mirror image of what it is that is being described in you know, the Bible. We want to continue to expand those exemplars of people who are just doing their thing and helping people get closer to God as an example. Because we know that people can demonstrate an example and move people away, right? And, and have people be fearful and afraid of getting close to God because of what I said in inverse, okay? I also want you to know that we are in a process right now where the Kingdompreneur Mentor um, Academy is being built out and we're getting so close and I'm really excited and I'm excited to share this once it's official. I'm excited for the impact. I'm excited for the people that we're going to be working with because there will be a vetting process. Not everyone will be accepted and this is not like a sales strategy where we tell you that and then you're like, oh, but they're really going to let everybody in. No, we really want to work with true faith-based leaders that are truly hungry to enter a new realm of experience through Holy Spirit, through their body, you know, their soul. Like they're ready and they're ready to be equipped to create wealth for themselves in the context of stewardship, where they're stewarding millions of dollars or they're stewarding billions of dollars. And they're prepared to use that capital to not only set up their generational wealth and generational stewardship, but then also giving back right now. We're really focused on that. And so we know it's not going to be a lot of people, but it's going to be the right people. And God's going to select those people. They're going to hear the message. It's going to resonate with their spirit. And they're going to want to participate. They're going to understand the value of the tuition. They're going to understand the value of the curriculum. And we're going to take them on a journey. And at the end of that journey, we will show them in the next two to four years how to become steward millionaires. And some of them will also eventually steward billions of dollars. And then how that money is going to impact in our government our educational system, right? Really getting our people, the people of faith, you know, to have stronger voices, to be of more influence, to be inspirational in a time where it appears like darkness is prevailing, but we all know that's not true. And it'll never be true. And we know who has the final say, right? Because with God, it may look like in, in this snapshot of time that that's what's happening. But he's the beginning and the end. There is no time. He already knows the outcome. And he, he knows who he's putting in place to raise up. And if you think about it, most of the people that you're going to hear about in the coming months, in the coming years, are going to be people that are totally, highly unlikely to be chosen or identified as the key influencers or leaders in this realm of transformation they're going to be people you at least expect, but that's what God does because then they get, they get, God gets all the glory for their story, all the glory. Like it wasn't their skill set. It wasn't their background. It wasn't the way they were raised. None of that stuff. 
and that's going to be really exciting. So just make sure that if you're you're listening intentionally, you got to get close to this because if you are someone who just been tugging on the heart, it's been in your spirit that you know that you're supposed to steward communities, steward the people, have the resources for stewardship. Not ownership. And that's one of the things that people are going to get excited about is that we're going to take people out of the ownership trap, being bound through ownership, and put them in stewardship. Because you will not leave this place, this physical realm, with any of it. So your job is to steward these these resources effectively for the best use and ultimately serving the kingdom and God's purpose. Now, that actually segues us right into our conversation today because, as you know, the theme for the month of July has been the state of Christianity, just kind of where things are at. And I don't want to get off any tangents, but I've been just finding some really interesting facts, you know, from these, like, uh, test groups and studies and just kind of people's perception. And and you see the contrast of the enemy and how he's deceiving the people of faith. And, and we just need more people giving people truth and then providing them with evidence of the truth and then helping them step into their truth, which is the word, and experiencing the word so that they know that there is no lies, there is no contradictions. These things are all fact. Right, solid base can be supported left, right, up, down. It does not matter. It is what it is. It's God's word. He cannot lie. He is not a not a lying God. The enemy lies frequently. Right, that's what he does. He manipulates and he lies. But God does not lie. However, in today's conversation, it was titled "He Programmed You to Fail." Who programmed you to fail? Why do they want you to fail? Why don't they want you to succeed? Why do they want you broke and broken, right? Like, why why is this happening? On today's conversation, we're going to dive into that right now. And it's going to be an exciting conversation. So get ready. Get yourself in a place where you are ready to hear this message. If you are listening on YouTube, say, I am ready. Because we have to be ready. We have to be active in our listening, active in our engagement, active as Christians on this planet. We have to be activated without those attributes without those verbs then all we are is just more data collecting you might as well be what are the things to collect the data a server right a server farm full of data just sitting there in a cooled environment doing nothing you are not a server in that context but you are a servant of the most high and so therefore we have to be active in our engagement in our conversations right now and helping you really unlock biblical power while becoming an activated, you know, faith-based leader and ultimately experiencing God's unfair advantage, realizing all of his promises, what he promises to do for you, both here on earth and in heaven, and getting you in a place where it's unequivocal. So, first thing we want to do is understand why you and I were programmed for lack. We were programmed for lack, right? And we can begin in the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, the origin, the start, the the start of everything. We can begin there. It starts with Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? Like in that in that context. And when you look at you know chapter three, right, the fall, right? It begins in chapter three, and you look at what. 
God first told Adam and Eve between chapter 1 and chapter 2, he made it very clear. Listen, all this you have dominion over. Everything you see, except for that in the center of the Garden of Eve. You do not touch that, right? Everything else. I want you to put this into today's context and just think to yourself. Imagine, right? In a capitalistic society, equivalent would be, okay, I, you can own all the land that your eyes can see. But this one parcel that has caution tape around it, that has, you know, do not trespass. You do not plant a garden there. You do not, you know, spend any time there. But everything else that you can see is yours. And you knew it was yours. I want you to imagine the massive, and, and back then, this is when land equated to wealth because you would live off the land, right? You would have cattle on the land. You would garden the land. You would, you know, farm the land. So the land was equivalent to wealth, you know, livestock. And having that massive before the, the in, um, engagement between silver and gold, but you knew that. That's where you were at. And God just said, just don't touch that. There would be no reason for you to touch that land. It, it just would, there would be no logical reason. So in order for you to become illogical or irrational, there would need to be manipulation. And so if you look at it from the very beginning, Eve was manipulated. And then she encouraged her trusting husband, based on that manipulation, to eat from the tree. And so... When we look at that paradox, you realize then that was the beginning of lack. That God was about abundance and the serpent, Satan, was about contradicting the abundance for lack and manipulating you to want lack. So if it starts there, then you can imagine over the years how it's compounded. Now, how, does, how do we get you programmed for lack? Language. In the beginning, there was heaven and earth, right? And then God said, and if you look at Genesis, God said, that is stated multiple times. I don't have the accurate count, but God said, because in all we had in the beginning was the word and the word is God. And so the power of language, the way that God articulates and describes and uses specific words in a specific manner, in a specific context to deliver and transform from the spiritual to the physical is all through language. So if you recognize that language, the power of life and death is in the tongue, it's because of the power that he's bestowed upon us is in our ability to use language and our language patterns. And some of us, if you look at success and not lack of success in life and the quality of life, they're directly related to the quality of your communication, which is backed by language. Whether you speak one language or you are bilingual, it is the language. And if you notice that those who speak well are ultimately that use, you know, have a superior vocabulary and can articulate their thoughts and their feelings clearly, ultimately have a better quality of life than those who cannot. And so look at how in today's time, let's fast forward, and let's just look at what the enemy has done to project lack. 
right? So the first thing is having those who have created massive success, but they are not of God, right? So automatically he's made wealth evil perceived to the average person, right? The perception of wealth is evil. If you think about movies, if you think about crime, if you think about just so many things that are transpiring, even though it's a small percentage, you associate wealth with evil. So the abundance of money the, and the equivalent of money in the beginning of the Bible is gold and silver, right? Just like he, you know, Abram was a very wealthy man because God blessed him with livestock, silver, gold, right? He was extremely wealthy. That was probably the equivalent of a billionaire today. So God blessed those who are bold. He blessed those who are obedient with wealth. There's no question about that. But he also warns you about wealth in the Bible too, if you, based on character and how man handles it. But there's never the wealth. It's no different than today's times where they blame the guns, but it's really the shooter who was responsible for misusing the gun, right? That same paradox is a real issue. But what has happened is that you, the, the separation of how we affiliate with wealth has started, especially in the as in poor middle class. And then if you think about the words that have been used to keep you away from it, to create lack, things that you would say like, I can't, I can't what? I can't afford, I can't do. I'm, um, it's too expensive. I don't have. These are all language patterns that are that, that in, um, sustain and submit limiting beliefs. But the facts are that clearly people have found other language patterns that open up the brain in another capacity to experience what we refer to as the how-to. How do I or how to accomplish this, or how to create this, or how to improve this. So there's the how-to versus the I can'ts. But the I can'ts is what's been programmed from the moment you're listening to your parents discuss what they couldn't afford, what they could not do, why you could not, right? Like this language pattern, things are too expensive. And I even think about like when I'm in the stores and my children hear people mention the word too expensive. And then now I noticed that my oldest son started saying like, oh my gosh, dad, that's too expensive. And so I would ask him the question. I would say, well, how do you define something being too expensive? And he would look at me puzzled. Well, because of the cost. I said, is it fair to say that whatever the price is, and if people are paying that price, that means that they, they equate that price to that value, correct? And I said, so are there people who can't afford and there's people who cannot? He said, yes. I said, well, then the difference really is, is that the person who can't afford it, instead of finding a way to afford it, whether that be create an additional stream of revenue, save money, invest money, whatever the, the plan is, the limiting belief, the lack thinking, the programming is, is that it's out of my reach. So I'm going to use a language pattern to infuse the power of God, keeping it away from me versus bringing it to me. And see, the brain doesn't want you to be a liar. It wants you to be truthful. So depending on your quality of communication, your quality of question or statements will ultimately determine the actual outcome over time. And in that moment, I explained to him, I said, never fall for the lie that something is too expensive. It's either you can afford it or you can't. And if you can't, you can always ask yourself the question, how can I? How can I afford 
that car that I would like? Or how can I afford to donate millions of dollars to churches or charities or, or missions that I want to participate? How can I travel around the world? You know, how can I is different than I can't because how can I will allow the brain to say, well, here's what we need to do. Here's the plan. Here's the information. Here's the knowledge we need to gain. And then now we got to work towards it. We got to put forth action, effort. But when we settle with, I can't afford, there's no action, there's no effort, and we remain removed from it. So God wants us to understand that his language, specifically in the Bible, is designed to tell us what to do. And then when we put forth the effort and speak that language moving forward, then we can do and we can have all things. That's why it says we are more than conquerors. When you look at that statement, more than a conqueror, then ultimately... If you realize the presence of God, you would recognize that right now you've already won. And all you got to do is clean up your language and clean up your thinking and just make some tweaks. And you're winning in a really, really big way. Another thing outside of languages, right? We're still talking about program the lack is the truisms. And so it's amazing. Like even in my household, they sneak in. Right, because your children are going to school or they're on YouTube occasionally. Like in my home, the children, Monday through Friday, especially during the school year, they are not allowed any technology. Okay, we have to detox and keep them away from that on the weekend. They get a precious hour that they earned through their chores, their contribution to the home. And we look at our home for the children because one of the mistakes parents often make is making their children feel like they're co owners of the home. Okay. They are not co-owners. They're going to grow up and they're going to leave the home. So when you communicate to them like they're on the mortgage and they're, contrib and they're not contributing to the monthly mortgage payment or contributing that way, that, that dynamic impairs your child moving forward to see value of community because you made them feel almost like a slave to a circumstance that they were born into. My recommendation and what we do in our home is I explain to them that they are part of a community. And in, a part, in part of the community, you are not the owner of this land. You are not the heir right now. You know, Well, you're the heir to the land, but you're not the owner of it currently. You're part of the community. So as the part of a community, you have to do your part. So, and that means that they have chores and they also have their private space, which is their bedrooms, right? When I say private, it means that it's their bedroom, not someone else's. But if we need to go into that space, because we are, my wife and I had dominion over this community, over this land, over this property. So all things are not out of our reach. But as a community member, after you do your responsibilities, you are to seek how you can help support the community. And so we encourage them and help them understand how can I be of service? Because developing a servant's heart early in life will ultimately allow the children to be greater leaders, greater influencers, to reduce ego and improve humility, right? Because now as I've done what I'm responsible to. Now the next thing is how can I go over and above? And that takes them from a place of going beyond good, going beyond excellent, to outstanding, right? Because I'm taking care of what I have well, but then that extra, how can I be of service, mom? How can I be of service, dad? What, is there anything else that you would like me to do with a cheerful heart? And, and the Bible discussed that when we give with a cheerful heart, we will be blessed for that. And we have to impart that into our children. 
So the truisms. Yesterday we were in Sam's Club. And I was walking with my 10-year-old. And um, he asked me, he said, why are we going to Sam's? Dad, you were just there recently. I said, oh, your mother forgot. Um, boy, she forgot to put on the list for me to get um, uh, dishwasher detergent, right? Okay, our solution. But you can tell I don't use that much. But anyway, the little pads, the little pots, dishwasher pots. And so we get to there and he was like, you're right, Dad. Happy wife, happy life. I said, I'm not sure where you heard that, but that is a truism. And oftentimes, truisms aren't true. And he says, well, what do you mean by that? I said, as a man, when you marry a woman, if you marry the wrong woman, can she make your life very challenging? And I used the word hell. So I said, can she make your life hell? Yes. And if you marry the right woman, can she increase 10x, 100x what you've done? Absolutely. But that statement is not designed based on that. What that statement is designed to do is be in conflict with God's word, which is helping the woman understand that part of her role, in part, is to be your helpmeet. What that means is that happy life, happy life, happy, happy wife, happy life means that I'm to submit to my wife for her happiness. And that is not true because happiness is event-driven. Joy and peace is an inside job. So then if I'm to compromise and I can't be a strong leader, if I'm thinking about her being happy based on how I communicate, how I respond, how I do for her to be happy, that is not what, that's not God's order and that's not what God intended for the man to do. You can't be, you can't protect in that capacity. So do you want the person you're with, if you're a loving, caring, empathetic person to be happy? Yes, you do want that. But is that your mission, your goal, your focus? No. If she's your helpmeet, her job is to be in a place spiritually, mentally, and physically where she can contribute to increase you, which therefore increases the whole and have, has con contribution to the dominion of the whole. So you don't want to get into this happy wife, happy life theory because all it does is to me is a, a expression of contradicting what God wants and his focus in the order of the home. So then we continue our journey, we get the pods, and then we get to the beverages. And we were talking, and in our discussion, he says, well, that is it's better to be safe than to so be sorry. And the truism is better to be safe than to be sorry. How many of you believe that? I'm sure many of you, because you've been programmed to believe that and then to live it out. So therefore, you are risk adverse. And if you're risk adverse, that also means that you have a very low faith muscle. That your, your level of faith is very low. It's a weak muscle. Because in order to take on calculated risk, responsible risk, you have to be able to step into faith boldly. And if you're not willing to step into faith boldly, then you're thinking, like my son said, it's better to be safe than to be sorry. And I said, RJ, that's not truism. That's not true. He said, well, what, what do you mean, Dad? Why is it not true? I said, because the life that you are experiencing right now, the home that we live in, the car that drove you here, the trips that we're able to go on, right, the extracurricular activities that you participate in, those things would not be afforded if my mindset was it's better to be safe than to be sorry. 
Now, there is a distinction between being irresponsible, being reckless, and being foolish. But taking on bold risk, stepping into faith, trusting that God has your best interest and he's going to protect you and that the idea that's come to you or the plan that's in front of you, if you pray on it, you sought him to get clarity or to get confirmation or to reaffirm. Now, some people would dispute and say, well, if, if, it's come, if you've already prayed for and it comes, why do you need to pray again? And they're very true to that. But as humans, we know that because the enemy is also trying to intercept. So the enemy can't stop the blessing, but the enemy can remove you from wanting to receive the blessing. Better safe than sorry. <laughs> and I explained to my son, I said, son, the reason why God's blessed you with a very intelligent mind and you do very well academically, but my responsibility is to help your stewardship in terms of your emotional intelligence because you're going to, if you want to live this extraordinary life that you describe and be able to be of value and service to others, you're going to have to be comfortable taking risk. And then another programming issue is the misinterpretation of the Bible, right? And I'm going to give some examples here very soon, but that's really what's caused so many great Christians to fall off and become deactivated, to be non-affiliated, and to hide behind the curtain of, you know, yeah, I know there's a God, but, you know, I don't go to church. Or I know there's a God, but, you know, this happened to me, and, and I asked myself, God, why would you let this happen? You know, just excuses, right? Because it's not about you. It's about God. And the moment you recognize that, your relationship and his presence will be totally different when you realize it's not about you. Also, movies, they do it all the time, too. And the best ones are superhero movies. Like, I enjoy Marvel, DC. Like, I thoroughly do. But I'm, I'm also able to not see it anymore from the eyes of a non-biblical perspective versus now seeing everything biblically, right? So, some of these movies, like, I had to leave early <laughs> because it's like witchcraft and... There's a lot happening. If it's not, if it's, if my spirit is not in alignment with it, then I have to get out of there. But if you notice, even in the programming of movies, typically, what are most superheroes? Are they wealthy or are they poor? Are, have they been through trauma? Have they gone through a lot, right? So they're poor, they've had trauma, they've experienced a lot. So that's like the average person. Okay. Or majority of people. Then the few who, I know what you're thinking, right? There's Iron Man, there's Batman, there's Black Panther. So when you look at those, how do they make the, what are the characteristics of those superheroes? Sometimes it's arrogance, conceit, conceited, self-absorbed, right? Um, malicious. So the enemy has used Hollywood to have your association with um, a lack of abundance or a lack of you know, wealth because you associate wealth with evil. And you see it all around you, right? You see in the movies, the wealthy are killing everyone. You see in the movies, the wealthy are harming the poor. Now, are there people who are wealthy that are harming people? Right. But are there also people who are not wealthy that are harming people? Yes, all the time. Subtly, extremely, moderately, excessively. The answer is yes. 
But the enemy doesn't want you to pay attention to that because he wants to keep you entrapped like he did with Eve, thinking he's not telling you the truth. Here's the truth, right? And then you just got to know that, that manipulation. And so when you think about um, this Bible, you know, uh, scripture right now that I'm going to pull from right now um, in First Timothy, and I think it's 6, I mean 10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, most of you can read scripture, but what you have to do is dive into scripture. Dive into the context. If there are words in scripture that you do not, do not understand, I recommend um, one of my resources that I use. is called BibleStudyTools.com. You can get a free account. Great information in there. Great details to help bring clarity. And we're not going to do that. That'll be on our Fridays, right? So if you want the details on this, we're going to do that on Friday. But what has man done? Man has said what? Man said, when you don't get, they took, they took out for the love of, right? They erased that and all you know is money is the root of all evil. And here it doesn't say all evil, all kinds of evil, but it says for the love of it. Which simply means the contrast to that would be, I am to not fall in love with my wealth. I am to not fall in love with the money in my account, you know, so I can then be a steward. I can let money come in and go out effectively. I can manage it appropriately. And I'm not tied to it. But the moment I love it and I identify with it and I create a relationship with it, then that's where the temptation steps in. That's where poor judgment can occur. And God is simply saying here, not for you not to have money and that money is evil. He is saying the love of it is evil. That is not why he placed it here. So it's important that we understand the program. I just wanted to pull some high level points. And the next thing I wanted to step into is why can't we see it? Okay. And so first off, it starts with our parents. We were born into it. You listen to these truisms. You listen to the language patterns. Right, you you see the emotional responses, and then what it does, it creates a a neural connection in your brain and your subconscious, and then now because you witnessed it, you experienced it, and you put emotion with it, it becomes a belief. So now it's true to you because there's evidence. It becomes a fact, and because your sphere of understanding or comfort is so small that you will walk around life if you don't expand with new inputs, new concepts and information, then you'll be in a place where you believe that it is always true. Then the next phase of programming then moves us into the school system, right? The farming of this, the, the cultivation, the conditioning of this, right? The way we learn, sit still, be programmed, be robotic, you know, that the, the truism of if you pass a test, then you understand it, which means that you learned it, and that's not true. So we've now gotten into the space that if we hear it and we believe we understand it, it is something that we have now learned. And that is not the truth to learning. And that is not our, the true definition of learning will be surrounded around how many different depictions of a variance of understanding on a specific topic or, a, you know, relationship do we have with that specific origin. And what I mean by that is, for example... 
let's just use um, snow, right? So I heard this from Tony Robbins. When when you go to Alaska and you have you know the Inuit, right? So the people of Alaska, they have many different words they have for snow. I live in Michigan. Snow is snow. So who's more intelligent when it comes to snow? They are. Right, but there's the learning, there's the experience, and there's execution. I don't study. I know what snow is. I've heard it. I've seen it in books. It's very limited, right? So the programming of truisms and 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 thinking that we learn something just because we understand it is not true. We we not in agreement. But then if somebody asks you like, okay, what types of snow are there? What can they be used for? What are some of their functions? What some what are some of the abilities? Right, capabilities. You may be like, I don't know. I get throw a snowball, you know, right? Or go skiing with, with um, fake snow. That's it. While they have to use snow to build, to live, to sustain life, two totally different types of relationships. But the schooling system, right, is, has deceived us and it continues to deceive us. How do we know? Let's fast forward to today. There was a time where, yes, if you graduated, you can get a job and have a decent career and live a decent life. Now, the cost of school has continued to rise. The value of a degree has decreased, right, to the point that the Ivy League schools are willing to allow non-accredited people to take courses to get a certificate they can put on their LinkedIn account to say they're affiliated with Wharton, Harvard, Yale, MIT. You couldn't do that 20 years ago, 10 years ago. There's no, like there was a very gated, you know, private selection here, right? Um, you know, application versus acceptance rate very low, sub 10% in all those schools. It's all different today. So the schooling system has really farmed and cultivated these truisms and these lack of truths, and therefore people have suffered economically, right? Because you thought once I got that paper, I was going to be on my way, but I didn't learn how to manage money in school. I didn't learn anything about emotional intelligence in school. You didn't learn anything about how to uh, network and build relationships in school. And so therefore you were not prepared to really ascend in life. And then again, the power of language. We kind of really spent some time in that earlier, but it, it doesn't change even here. Now you're communicating this lack and, and, and not knowing that God has given you the power of life through your tongue. And when we say power of life, it doesn't mean just life as in death or staying alive. It also means taking a vision, something that God has given you. And be able to speak that vision, communicate that vision to the right parties and then the right people come enter the realm of what it is that God called you to do. And then the manifestation of it takes place. That is life. That is taking something out of the spiritual into the physical and then making it evident. And we have done that. We've seen it with technology. We've seen it with the buildings that we're in. That somebody saw something in their mind. They were able to articulate it. Amass a, a and assemble the correct team, the correct infrastructure, the right knowledge, specific knowledge. They also put that knowledge to work. And then voila, we're talking as a result. We're engaging right now because somebody took something from the spiritual, articulated it, and now it's physical. And so, if you, what do I mean by all this? Here's what we have to remember, right? which is really important, right? And this is going to come out of Exodus 3, 12 through 17, but I'm just going to pull from the fact that the one of the most powerful phrases in the entire world, actually not one of, excuse me, 
the most powerful phrase that can ever be said is I am. And then what follows that? Because I am is is translated through Hebrew and I am translated um, even in the early languages is the definition of God, right? And when you spend some time and study and you realize that I am is God. And then when you put something behind that, you're infusing the power of God. So if you say, I am a conqueror, I infuse the power. I mean, I can conquer my problems. I can conquer the challenges. I can conquer this opportunity. I am more than a conqueror than I am becoming more than that conqueror. But when you also say, I am dumb, I am stupid, I am lazy, I'm infusing the power of God into things that are moving me away from my objectives. And I'm infusing the power of God to remove me away from what it is that I truly desire by limiting, by infusing my limiting beliefs and my limitations. So you can either infuse your limitations or you can infuse unlimited limitations, right? I mean, unlimited capacity based on your language pattern and your words. And so the word says, and God said unto Moses, I am that I am, right? Listen to that. I am that I am. So it doesn't get any bigger. It doesn't get any clearer that I am all. I am the beginning. I am the end. I am God. Okay. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. So God sent me to you. Hope you get that. He's telling them that the God, the one that you have heard about, the one that you know about, the Alpha, the Omega has sent me to you. Very powerful. So real quick, how do we fix it? How do we fix this programming? Uh, first thing is clarity on God's word. And I'm committed to that. I hope you're committed to that. There's so many tools right now for you to gain clarity. The misconception of the word, thinking things could be contradicted or... You know, if you get in an argument with atheists, they'll try to use science. And even then, you know, who you think created science? Who you think was the big, you know, when you look at the universe and, and just the elements of the universe, it becomes very clear that the universe was not first. Because there's certain attributes that wouldn't be prevalent with the universe if it was first. So therefore, God is first. And you can Google that and, and find that to support that. There's plenty of information out there. The next thing is God desires us to have abundance. I mean, just look at what he's done for Moses, Abram, David, Joseph, right? The First, they had to be patient, and they went to go through the lesson. But after you go through the lesson comes the blessing. So if there's, there's no lesson, no blessing. you got to allow God to take you through that. Um, stop seeking external validation. That's a big one. Oftentimes, we spend so much on an outward basis trying to seek validation from friends, family, social media, you know, outwardly. But joy and peace is an internal game. And when you can really experience the presence of God. And the thing that I can think about when I really felt the presence of God, there's two major events that took place in my life. The first one was the evangelist that stopped me in a parking lot, which is also the first episode in the podcast. So you can listen to that story there. And the second one was when my wife was transitioning to be internally ill, my first wife, um, due to cancer. And just the peace that I felt in that season so that I was able to be present, so I was able to communicate effectively with the doctors to make God-like decisions, right? And just really go through that process with a 
unreal piece. And and there were people that came to me after the funeral because I spoke at the funeral. I spoke about her, her significance, and they were just shocked how calm and relaxed I was communicating about the woman that had done so much for me and given me two amazing little boys that was landing that I knew that I wasn't going to physically see ever again, that I was able to remain calm, but God's peace was with me because I, I, it wasn't that I had so much understanding, but it was trust and that I realized that he gave her to me and he can take her from me and I had to value that, respect that. And so the presence of God will give you joy, will give you peace even when there's pain expected there, even when there's not an understanding there. And so, which means then that we have to focus on the work inside. And that's really the mission for a Kingdompreneur mentor as an organization, is to help you do the inside work, then couple that work with truth and the Word of God, so that you can live it out. You can experience it. You can experience all that He has for you. Now, does that mean you're going to get rich because of that? No. But some of you are going to go on and do great things. You know, I don't know who he wants to be wealthy. I don't know who he wants to, to be a great testimony. Our responsibility is not to decide that. That's between you and God, your relationship. But what I do know is that when you have the tools, the strategy, and the formulas that work, coupled with the word, once you are unlocked and the word has power, unmatched power, and then you'll be able to withstand any fiery, fiery arrows, any noisome pestilence, any schemes that the enemy may throw at you. You'll laugh because you're like, ah, I've seen this before. <laughs> yeah, right, Satan, get back. I cast you back to the depths of hell. And you begin to use your language through the word to combat what's going against you and use the language of the word to also increase you. So in a quick two-minute recap, the first thing I want to talk about that you, I think you should really take away from this message is the power of language. And then number two, um, and I just, I'm looking at the clock right now, and I'm actually supposed to be on another call. So it's so funny that this went a lot longer than I anticipated. But hey, when God's at work, you got to just go with it. And then number two, you have to remember God can't lie so that when you trust in him, and all things like you just have to get to a place where you break through your trust issues your fear issues your doubt issues and just say what let me just try it like let me try to do the opposite okay if i got trust issues let me just be faithful right if i have doubt issues let me feel certain like we have the ability to not stay who we've always been right we can have a, a fixed mindset or we can have a growth mindset you know for you to experience the power of god you got to get into a growth mindset and if you grow and expand, all that we're sharing with you will begin to make more and more sense because you'll begin to have your own evidence. So I hope this helps. Let's be mindful, acutely aware that the enemy has programmed us to have lack. It is not God. And we need to work on our increase. Increase in our faith, increase with our family, increase with our love, increase with our finances, increase with the relationships, increase with our health, increase. And if you're thinking, well, how do I do all that? That's part of the reason why the academy is going to be so important because we're going to show you how to do that because you're talking to someone who does it. There's others who do it. So there is a, a formula. There is a, a plan 
to, to assure you, but your responsibility will and always will be to commit and execute. No one can do it for you, and God's not going to do it for you. He's going to tell you what to do, and then you got to go do it. We're no different here. We're going to tell you what to do, how to do it, a plan to do it, and then you have to still go execute. So that won't change. But if you grow and we get out of your head and get into a place of action, then the probability of success tremendously increases. Hope you have a wonderful day, evening, wherever you're at. And thank you for joining. We'll see you next week. KM family, what an incredible episode we just experienced on today's show, packed with wisdom and enlightenment. Remember, please subscribe to our newsletter, podcast, and YouTube channel for the best results. In addition, you can contribute to Kingdompreneur Mentor by commenting, requesting topics, or emailing us. And if you desire a deeper relationship with Kingdompreneur Mentor, visit our website at www.kingdompreneurmentor.org and learn more about our courses, masterclasses, and live events. We pray that God's favor goes before you and prospers your way and that people go out of their way to bless you.